Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Acts chapter 7, 47 through 49. Solomon built him a house, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? I ask you to pray with me that Holy Spirit would teach through me tonight in a way that we can all understand. Father, we come to you today and we just ask for your help. We ask for Holy Spirit to teach through us. Give us the wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that our understanding would be enlightened, that our hearts would be open, that our ears could hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, use my lips of clay. Use my intellect. Use the gift of gab that you have given me. I pray, Lord, that when we leave this place, that we, we, we would be much more enlightened than when we came in concerning your presence. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In the study of the glory of God. Now, I talked to you about the glory of God a couple of weeks ago. We, we were in, by the way, we were in Nashville last week for our general assembly and, and, and in business meetings uh, all day long, every day. So Dr. John, I heard, did a, a fantastic job last Wednesday night here. But um, the Wednesday before that, I, I talked to you about the glory of God and I shared with you that in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for the glory of God uh, means the heaviness Heaviness. So it's, it's the heaviness of God. It's the heaviness of His presence. It's the heaviness of the goodness of God and, and, and those types of things. So when we talk about the glory of God, which I like to call the ambience of God or the presence of God or the heavy presence of God, when we talk about those things, I, I began to think about, Lord, we know that You live inside of us, that You dwell in us, that we are the temple that You have made. And, I, and my mind began to go back and I began to think about the different places that God said in His Word that He had actually inhabited. The different places, that, and I called them the houses of God's glory, the places that God inhabited. And I found four different places in the Scripture where the Bible literally talked about God living. Four different places. And so... Uh, I've, I just felt like that this passage of Scripture, it's kind of generic, but I just felt like that this passage of Scripture was a good springboard Scripture for this. Solomon uh, was wanting to find a place for God to dwell, and he said Solomon built him a house, but uh, the Bible said that at that time that the, high, uh, that the Most High didn't dwell in a temple that was made with hands, as said the prophet. And then he went on and he said, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, and, and uh, what house will you build for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? So I asked myself this question. I said, so if God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, then where does God live? Now, in Psalms chapter 139, verses 7 through 12, we won't go there uh, tonight, but you can write it down and read it later for your devotions if you would like. David tells us in Psalms 139, verses 7 through 12, that God is, and here's a theological term, omnipresent. That means that He is always present everywhere at all times. So God is every 
where present at all times. And so this is what David tells us in Psalms uh, chapter 139. However, God does have a house. In fact, the Bible talks about these four different dwelling places of God. In the New Testament, in Matthew 28 and verse 20, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, there are two passages in the New Testament that address the dwelling place of God. That God has dwelling places. So, so here's the thing that I, and just in modern vernacular, I want to say it like this. God never leaves His kids. God is always around somewhere. You may not feel Him, but that doesn't mean that He's not there. You may not see Him, but that doesn't mean that He's not there. God is omnipresent and He is always present at all times. But today in an effort to better understand the presence of God, I want to talk to you about places that the Bible says that God has dwelled. And I want to do that saying this, and I've said it many times, and I hope it gets inside of you. God never does anything without purpose. He never does anything without purpose. So when we learn about these four places in the Scripture where the Bible says that God has dwelled or that God dwells, when we look at those things, then we can learn how that those dwelling places fit into God's overall plan for man. And in doing that, we can understand better how the presence of God operates. In other words, we can learn how to practice the presence of God. We can learn what to do when we feel the presence of God, when we sense the presence of God, when we come into the holy presence of God and we can sense the ambience or the glory of God, we can sense the heaviness of God's presence, then if we study these, then we can see and better understand what to do with it when we study it. So the first place, God's main house, the first place that the Bible addresses is man. God lives in man. The first place that God chose to dwell was Adam. Somebody say Adam. Adam. That was the first place that God chose to dwell. Now, Adam was a three-part house. Somebody say three-part house. He was a three-part house, okay? He was made, according to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26, in the image of God. So he reflected the triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's primary design for Adam, according to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, was body, soul, and spirit, therefore being the triune design of God as He made man and created man in His image. Now, somebody say body, Body. soul, Soul. and spirit. The body allows God access to the physical world. The soul allows access to the emotional world because the soul is the seat of the mind and the will and the emotions... And the Spirit allows access to the spiritual world. The Spirit is what separates us from animals. That's why you didn't descend from a monkey. Because God made man in His image and after His likeness, and God doesn't look like an orangutan. We were made in the image of God and after God's likeness. So God is a... Spirit, 
and they that worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. So in the creation of man, the first house that God prepared for Himself was Adam, who reflected the triune God, body, soul, and spirit, addressing the physical world, the emotional world, and the spiritual world. Are you all with me? Trying to get this... Trying to get this laid out here. So what happens? So we see the design, okay? We see the first place that God chose to dwell. We see the design of God. We see how God designed man. But what happened? How come come things changed? Well, it's because of sin. So we see the desecration of the first house that God made for Himself, which was Adam, and that desecration is because... Of sin. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that I want you to hang with me, okay? When Adam died, or when Adam sinned, he died spiritually. What are we made? We were made in the image of God. We were made in triune. We were made body, soul, and spirit, addressing physical, emotional, and spiritual. When Adam sinned, he died a spiritual death. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because death means separation. And sin separated Adam from God, making it necessary for a plan of redemption to be introduced into the earth so that later through the grace of God and the love of God and sacrifice and God's mercy, we could once again come into fellowship with God by becoming born again or coming into relationship with God, bringing back to life the spiritual part of us that died because of sin. Does that make sense? Hang with me. All right. Adam's sin defiled the house of God, and God moved out. I said, Adam's sin defiled the house of God, and God moved out. Dr. John laughed when he read the next phrase. I put down, God won't live in a dirty house. You say, well... You know, everybody sins a little bit every day and that's just all right because I live under grace and it doesn't matter. And all this, and this hyper-grace message that's going around in the church today is just going to send a lot of people to hell. Listen, if you sin, you've got to ask... So the Bible said we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ righteous, but we have to address that a- a- advocate. We have to activate that advocate. We have to go back to God. We have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know that's what Calvary's for, but I need to access Calvary again. I need you to forgive me of my sin here. I, I I need you to set me free and I want to once again uh, come into a relationship with you like I should. God will not live in a dirty house. A scripture that I thought about when I was putting this together is that where the Bible said that when Jesus comes back, He's coming back after a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. God will not live in a dirty house. And when Adam sinned, it separated him from God and he died a spiritual death and it became necessary for the plan of redemption to be established in the earth. Now, when Adam sinned, 
suffering was introduced into the human race. Why? Because God lifted His hand. When Adam sinned, Adam and Eve began to suffer under the curse. Why? Because God lifted His hand. Now, the beautiful thing about the glory of God or the presence of God or the ambience of God is that we live uh, because of redemption. We live back in access with God and and the curse that Adam was under, we don't have to live under anymore because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has been applied to our heart and and to our life. So, I mean, just let me get that out of the way right here. But I want you to understand when Adam and Eve sinned, they began to suffer. And the curse came into the earth. When Adam's spirit died, his soul took over. His mind and his will and his emotions took over. So when his spirit died, his his soul took over, and man from that day to this has struggled with the pleasures of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And the Bible said these things are contrary the one to another. There is a constant battle going on between the spirit and the soul of man every single day. That's why for some people, in fact most of us, sometimes it's a struggle to live for the Lord. That's why people fight addiction. That's why people fight uh, mental oppression and depression because the enemy beats them down and tries to make them feel like that they have to live under Adam's curse. The soul took over. The spirit died. The soul took over. And this is called natural lead living. This has led into things like the worship of Mother Earth. It's led into New Age. It's even led into Scientology. The natural man is led by the soul because apart from God, the spirit of man is dead. So I would ask you this question right now. What are you being led by? By God or by your soul? Jesus came to save our souls, to heal our mind, to heal our will, to heal our emotions. He came to resurrect our spirit. We're in the process of receiving eternal redemption. Eventually, because of sin and because His spirit died, And because his soul took over, eventually his fellowship with God was restored, but he was unable to go back to the life that he had before because he had never been taught how to not live under the curse. So eventually, in Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 5, the Bible says that Adam died. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 19, the house that he lived in, which was his body, was destroyed and returned to the elements from which it came. Somebody say this with me. The only part of me that will live forever is my spirit. The only part of me that will live forever is my spirit. We are first spirit then we are soul, and then we are body, and this is the balance of our life. 
Now, this was the first place that God chose to dwell. God chose to dwell in Adam. That got all messed up because of sin. Redemption became necessary. Uh, the spirit of man died and, and had to be resurrected. The second place that I want to talk to you about tonight is uh, where the Bible talks about a place for God to dwell is the temple. So we fast forward several years through the Scriptures. We get to this temple where God said that He wanted to dwell. The outer court, the inner court, the innermost court, the holy of holies, all of this. Now, I put this down because I thought it was a great, a great description. The temple was God's outward vis- visible description of His desire for fellowship with man. It was the outward physical description of God's desire for fellowship with man. Once again, the place where God chose to dwell was a temple and it reflected the triunity of God. It had three rooms. It had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. Three rooms. The human body, the place of sacrifice, that was the outer court. Not the human body, the the body of the lamb. That was the outer court. The inner court, and that reflected the human body, the place of sacrifice. Romans chapter, in fact, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then goes on and talks about what that sacrifice looks like in verse number 2. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So God encourages us to be a living sacrifice. So the temple, the outer court, the human body, the place of sacrifice, the inner court is descriptive of the human soul, the place of gathering, the place of hearing the Word, the place of reason and understanding, the place where our mind is active and our will is active and our emotions are active. And so the inner court was a type. This is typology. It was a type or it was a symbol or a metaphor of the human soul. And then the innermost court, which is the holy of holies, was the place where the priest met with God or the place of worship and personal communion with the Lord. This was God's desire. God's desire was that we would be a living sacrifice. God's desire was that we would become addicted to His Word, that that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him that our understanding would be enlightened because if people are destroyed, the Bible said they are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And so the outward visible description of what God desired was that we would live surrendered to the Lord, which is sacrifice, and that our understanding would be open to the Word of God and that we would find fellowship there. And then the third thing was God wanted to have personal, intimate communion with us. And that is uh, the, where the Holy of Holies is, which is the metaphor 
of personal communion. Now, when Jesus died on Calvary, let me just say this real quickly. When Jesus died on Calvary, the Bible said that he cried, it is finished and the earth did rend and the, the rocks quaked and the earth rent. And the Bible said there was thunder and there was lightning. And the Bible said the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. That was the Holy of Holies. And I, let me say this. I've said it before, but there's new folks here. Let me say it like this because I want you to understand it very closely. The veil in the temple was not rent from top to bottom to let God out, but to let man in. And the Bible says this, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So what this is saying is God was saying, I want to have personal communication with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have intimacy with you in personal personal relationship. And, and he said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a scenario where I give you unfettered access to me because of my grace. And if it takes me sending my son Jesus to die on Calvary to make it possible, then that's what I'll do. Because I want to have relationships with you. So the temple, the Old Testament temple, was God's outward visible description of His desire for man. That temple became desecrated. How did it become desecrated? Through idolatry. Through sin. Through pride. Israel desecrated the place they used to worship. How many times has that happened in the church? Can I just get a little preachy here? How many times has that happened in the church? We come to church and we sit in our spot. And we get used to our spot. And God forbid if a newcomer comes and gets our spot. We might be a little lenient with that. But if Sister So-and-so, who's been sitting over on the other side of the church for the last 15 years wants my spot, we're going to have to have a conversation. And it becomes more about our spot than him. That's just an example. We get caught in a rut. We come to church. We expect there to be a countdown. We expect there to be a, 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 a praise song like He's Alive. We expect Pastor Josh to bound up here and say, Welcome to Lakewood Church of God. We're glad you're here. We expect somebody to say, Turn around and shake hands with somebody. And then we expect to feel the jive of the music as they start moving and all these. We expect all of this. We know that after about the third song that everything's going to slow down a little bit and the atmosphere's going to change. And Dr. John's going to come up here and say, if you need the Lord to touch you, you can come right now. (laughs) 
And then pretty Mama D, she's going to get up here and she's going to give us some announcements. And when she gets done with that, somebody's going to get up and receive the offering. And when that's done, we're probably going to have some video announcements. And we might have a special. And then the pastor's going to get up and he's going to preach. And he better move me. I don't know whether he's been praying this week or not. I'm teasing. You all aren't like that. And that's the truth. But we get so used to it that we get in a rut. What if God just said, I want to throw a bomb in the middle of that thing? What if God just said, I want to just, I just want to mess you up from the floor up on the first song? What if we sing the first song and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost says, Preach now, Pastor? I'm the type of person that would say, Okay. Preach now, pray later. Sometimes we pray now, preach later. Most of the time that's what we do. But every now and then it might need to be preach now, pray later. What if God wanted to do that? You see, this is what happens. We get to the point where we get so familiar with the way things are going that we develop around us this box that we call comfort. And we say, if God wants to move, this is how He's going to have to move because this is the way He's always moved. And if He moves any different than that, then it's probably religion, not God. Let me tell you something. We can get caught up in such a way where when God tries to communicate to us, we have a hard time feeling that and flowing with it. And if we don't watch it, our patterns become our idols. The pattern of our life can become our idol. Our thoughts can become our idols. Our perception and the way that we see things, if we're just hard-nosed and set and we won't bend and all of that, you say, well, bless God, this is just the way that it's going to be. And if you don't like it, you can hit the road, Jack, and don't come back no more, no more, no more. You've made that thought an idol. Made the thought an idol. We always need to be open and, and be flexible to what the Lord wants in our life idolatry and sin desecrated and defiled the temple of God. And I think the reason that that happened was because they had this pattern of things that they were constantly doing over and over and over and over. And if one laver did not get washed, they thought everything was out of whack. Did you know in the New Testament, the Bible said that when Peter was on on the housetop, Simon in Joppa, he was on Simon's housetop praying and the Lord gave him the vision of the sheet coming down out of heaven and God was calling him to the Gentile nations. Did you know that God told Peter, He said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat because he saw pigs in a blanket? (laughs) Read it, it's in the book of Acts. He said, (laughs) and he said... (laughs) He said, Lord, I can't do that. I'm a Jew and I don't eat anything that's uncommon or unclean. You know what God did? He reached down there in the midst of all of that law and He said, listen, He said, don't call what I've made common or unclean. The law might call it common or unclean, but but you're so wrapped up in the law that you can't relate to the cross. You're on the other side of the cross, Jack. You're on the back side of Calvary. You live in grace. And so here we are. And so did you know that they were so rigid about it that they would wash all of their utensils 
before they ate, just in case a wind from a Gentile land would come and blow upon those utensils and contaminate those utensils. The law had become their idol. Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 13. Through idolatry and sin and through these patterns and whatnot. Matthew 21, 13. Jesus said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. That's what happens when we get rigid. What happens when we get rigid is the enemy works his way in. What happens is when we get to the point where we're no longer flexible, we start frustrating the grace of God. So God can't move if He wanted to. And I want to encourage you tonight. Let's allow God to do what He wants to, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it. Let's let God be God. Let's not have our. Let's not let our patterns be God. Our way of thinking. We're not always right. God is always right. He's always right. And so we go on here. The desolation of people still carried out these ancient rituals. They still carried out these ancient rituals after Jesus had come. They were still carrying out these ancient rituals and God had left the building and they didn't even know it. Matthew 23, 37 through 38. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus prayed. You who kill the prophets and stone them which are sent unto you. How often I would have gathered your children together even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And that word desolate means abandoned. What happened later? In AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed. Why was Jerusalem destroyed? Because it no longer had the protection of God. It was unfit to be inhabited by God and God couldn't use it anymore. Sadly, a lot of churches are in this category. The Bible addresses them in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I want to tell you tonight that what we need to do is we need to allow... God to be God. There are, I'm, I'm running out of time and I feel like I'm still just laying the foundation of this teaching, but I've, I've already run out of time. But there are two places that God dwelled in the Old Testament that I shared with you. God dwelled in Adam and God dwelled in the temple. Next week we're going to talk about the third place that God dwells and the third place that God dwelled was in Jesus. It's going to really start getting good next week. Dwelled in Jesus. And then the fourth place that God dwells, dwelled and still dwells, is in the church. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the assembly of called out ones. So I don't know about you tonight, but I don't want to get so caught up in my patterns and my way of doing things, and my way of thinking things that God can't move anymore. I challenge you this week, the rest of this week, in your personal prayer time, to begin to pray prayers like this, kind of along these lines. Lord, whatever you need to do to get through to me, I'm available. Lord, I'm hungry for a mighty move of God. Lord, I'm hungry for your glory to be manifested in my life. Lord, I'm hungry for you to not just 
show up, but I'm hungry for you to invade my life. You say, well, I wish our church would have a revival. Start saying, Lord, I, I wish you would just let a revival begin inside of me. Create an appetite, God. Create a desire inside of us, Lord, to push aside the norm and not get caught up in religiosity. But Lord, I pray that we would be open to relationship with You, that we would be open to the move of God, that we would be sensitive to the move of God, that when You speak, our spiritual ears would perk up and that we would listen, that the manifestation of Your presence would flow through us not just upon us, but through us, so it can affect the atmosphere in the rooms where we are. So when we walk into the room, people can sense the presence of God. They can feel the presence of God. What made Smith Wigglesworth such a powerful man of God that he would walk into factories and walk down the aisles of the factories and the people not even know who he was, but big men who worked in factories would shut down their machines and fall before the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive them of their sins and to come into their life. It was the ambience of God. It was the glory of God. It was the presence of God that was in there. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied just being another average church around the corner back in the woods somewhere. I want to be the church, the place where God dwells, where His presence is, where His power is. I want to get to the point where when we walk in a room, everybody in that room says, Ooh, that's one of them Lakewood people. Why? Not because of what we look like, but because of how we make that room feel. We can carry His presence like that. We can carry His presence like that. Hallelujah. People do all kinds of things today trying to build churches. And we do things for fun sometimes around here. But they give stuff away. They try to do these little finagling type things, you know. Everybody that brings five people, we're going to give you a $20 Starbucks card. They do all kinds of things like that. They get so seeker sensitive that they lose their God sensitivity. Don't shout me down while I'm teaching good now. They lose their God sensitivity. Listen. We don't need a church growth program. We just need God to move. Because when God starts moving, people start coming because the Bible says that the creature groans after the Creator. What makes... I'm not gonna, I don't want to embarrass him. But what makes Stephen keep coming back home to Lake? He knows every time he gets in trouble, he can find God here. Because God's jacked him up from the floor up many times at these altars. What made BJ make his way here three years ago, right after he gave his life to the Lord in one of our outreach ministries? Now he's training for men. What made him do that? It's, it's the presence of God. When he walked into this place, he got born again a Baptist, and two weeks later he was spirit. Is that about right? 
He was Pentecostal because he got spirit filled. He became a Baptocostal. How many of you will get under the desire to see God move in this church? Come on. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, will you pray with me? Will you, if the Lord leads you to do some fasting and, and whatnot, let's do that, okay? It's not about building a big church. It's about hurting people in this community that need God to be their answer. And I want us to be the church or one of the churches absolutely a church that they can come to in this community and find what they need from God. Let's just all stand right now and let's just commit this to the Lord. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.